Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 this evening, please. And let's go ahead and read together verses 1 through 12. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. On the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, and that there prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. <clears throat> now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. And it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. Now if Timotheus comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come to me, for I look for him with the brethren. As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time, but he will come when he shall have convenient time. We're going to stop there this evening. That will be our portion. Let's pray. Father, we pray again your blessing and help upon the life of our assembly, and we thank you for your word. <clears throat> thank you for this dear saint, Brother Paul and Apollos and those who labored with them. And Father, may we be faithful in our generation as they were in theirs. Bless our time together in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, really beginning in verse number 4, or actually verse number 5, Paul begins to wind down uh, the book of Corinthians. And of course, it is a letter. And like all letters, when you are winding down, you are no longer dealing with the main body of material will see it even more clearly when we get to verse number 13 through the end of the book, in which most of Paul's references are tied to something that he has already addressed. What he is dealing with this evening in our portion, which is really, again, verse number 4 down through verse number 12, are really some very practical kind of things. He's not dealing with major Bible doctrines. <clears throat> He's not even dealing with matters of correction. Um, we've looked at this on a couple of occasions. There are probably a half a dozen references in Corinthians where Paul says, now what I'm telling you, I want all the churches to do. Uh, but verses 4 through 12 really are specific to the church at Corinth. There, there are some lessons that we can extract. There are some things that are appropriate to us. But there's not any chance that Apollos is going to come to see us. Uh, neither is there any chance that Timothy is going to come to see us. Neither is there any chance that Paul is going to come to see us. Um, 
Structurally, the passage kind of works like this. What Paul's travel plans are, are verses 4 through 9. We will look at that, or what his intentions are. And then he talks to them about Timothy in verse 10 and 11. And he talks about Apollos in verse number 12. And in one way or another, I think, if we're looking for kind of a common denominator with reference to the book of Corinthians, these are all people who have some involvement in some way with the controversy that Paul has with this church. And we want to remember always that, that although Paul is an unwilling partner in this, he finds himself in great conflict with this church. This is a church that he has begun. And, you know, the Bible teaches us to be harmonious. It celebrates harmony and unity. It is a wonderful thing when churches and, and leadership are united. But the reality is that Paul found himself in very serious conflict with this church. And there are hard feelings. We will get to this. There are hard feelings and there are great suspicions of Paul by the Corinthians that cannot be escaped and have to be contended with. By the, by the time we have read 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, we are aware that the church of Corinth has ridiculed Paul's physical appearance. They have found him defective and deficient just in the way he looked. They have found him deficient in the way he speaks. They have found him deficient when it comes to his human credentials. He has found fault with their ongoing carnality that has shown up in so many ways, contrary to what a church is supposed to do. And so there is very real tension underlying this and and part of the takeaway for us folks is that you know we all want <clears throat> as much as is possible trouble free lives and one of the things that i've learned as a pastor is that of all the places in the world that people experience trouble church is one of the places that they are least inclined to experience it in other words when our health goes bad we have to endure it if our marriages struggle we endure it. If our job situation stinks, we will endure it. But if things become very tense in a church, people leave. That's the way we handle things in America. These were not options that Paul felt for himself or for the Corinthians, and so they had to work at resolving the tension. So let's turn our attention first this evening to verses 4 through 9 in Paul's planned itinerary. And we gotta, right, we, we're we going to do a little bit of digging tonight and we're going to do a little bit of digging right, just with this admonition or caution or explanation at the outset. We're going to do a little bit of digging and we're, we're never going to find the kind of solid ground that we would like to have. But we're going to do some digging nevertheless. Verse number 4 if it be meet or appropriate is the idea, suitable, that I go also, then ye shall go with me. Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia, 
And it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. And so in this passage we have Paul's plans. And he raises in verse number 4 the possibility that Corinthians will accompany him or that he will accompany them on the, on the trip to Jerusalem. If it works out, if it is fitting, if it is appropriate. Now, we'll kind of look at this, but, but Paul has already in other places expressed his desire and his intention to take this offering personally to Jerusalem. This is something that he wants to do. He wants to go to Jerusalem and he wants to present this offering personally. And so what he is doing here in verses four and in verse number four, and actually verse number three, is raising the possibility that the Corinthians will want to go with him. That perhaps the Corinthians will have an, <clears throat> an assembly or a represent, not the entire church, but a couple of people who will go with him. And then in verse number 5, he expresses his desire to come to see them when he passes through Macedonia. And part of what we got to do this evening, part of our digging, just kind of get ourselves oriented a little bit geographically. Corinth is a city in the region that is in the Bible called Achaia. We would call it Greece, and and it would be the Grecian landmass, but it wasn't Greece as a nation as such. Macedonia is to the north of that, and Macedonia is where the churches of Berea and Philippi and Thessalonica are. And so Paul is talking about, right, that, that I'm, I'm going to come down through the north, and I'm going to pass through Macedonia, and I get to you. And my, it is possible, in verse number 6, that I will be able to spend the winter with you. And, of course, the nature of travel being what it was, very slow. The fastest way to get anywhere was on a boat. And most land travel was very slow and tedious. You didn't really tend to make short visits. You made long visits. You didn't really try to drop in for a weekend. My wife and I left Friday, drove 12 hours, went to Michigan, went to a wedding or funeral. (laughs) Not a funeral. Went to a very happy wedding. Very happy wedding on Saturday and drove back 12 hours on the Lord's Day. Something I hate to do, but that's what we did. So in the span of three days, right, we spent about 24 hours driving in the car to spend about 36 hours in Michigan. Paul did not make those kinds of trips. Paul did not make those kinds of trips. In verse number 7, he points out to them that he will not see them now, but he does hope to stay with them a while if the Lord permits. But instead, he expresses his intention. And, and by the way, I want to go back here because in verse number 6, we have, a, we have a phrase that is an important one that is helpful to us as a church to understand how missions works, how missionaries are funded. And that is at the end of verse number 6, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. And what Paul is doing there very clearly in the Greek language, it doesn't read very clearly in the English language, 
but what he is doing, right? We spent last week when we were here, we talked about verses 1 through 4 and this offering for the poor. And I made mention of the fact that I'm just stunned at the number of commentators who read verses 1 through 4 and go, see, there's no such thing as tithing because Paul's talking about an offering for the poor. But in verse number 6, folks, he is also talking about the church at Corinth paying his way wherever he's going next. That's what the expression, that you may bring me on my way. And when he wrote to the church in Rome, he said to the Romans, I'm hoping to come to you so that you may bring me on my way to Spain. And now he writes to the Corinthians, I hope to spend some time with you so that you may pay my way to wherever it is that I'm going next. That's the way that it works, folks. And 3 John is very helpful to us in using that same kind of construction. That right. So, so it's, if I could go back, which I don't really want to go back to the subject of money, right? <clears throat> if there's really no such thing as the tithe because of 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4, there is most certainly regular, systematic, conscious, and deliberate, and willful setting aside out of your money to help saints in need, and there is most certainly funds of above and beyond that that are available to send missionaries on the way. And so that's what Paul has in mind. But to go back to verse number 8 and 9, right? I want to see you, I hope to see you, I hope to spend a long time with you, but I'm not coming to visit you now. I'm going to stay in Ephesus. <clears throat> the opportunity, ministry opportunities in Ephesus are too great to walk away from. And so my intention is to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. And Pentecost is the Old Testament feast of first fruits, and it's somewhere in correlating to our May or June. <clears throat> it's going to function off of a lunar calendar, not a solander calendar, and so there's going to be a little more flexibility as to when that is. But it's one of the three main feasts, Passover, first fruits, and in gathering, they're described in Exodus 23. You can read about them. So he's just putting a point of reference there. So those are his plans. Those are his plans. He writes to them about what he intends to do. It doesn't work out. And that becomes a serious point of contention. And this is where we're going to do just a little bit of digging. If it is of any consolation to you folks, it is not uncommon for seminary students to be given an assignment to to work through all of the texts to put together a coherent listing of where Paul went and when he he went there. Um, It is difficult to decipher. It is difficult to nail down some things and to fight about them. But nevertheless, let's just kind of take a few minutes and look at some things. Turn back, if you would, to Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 18, Paul goes to Corinth and establishes the church. In Acts chapter 19, he goes to Ephesus. These are the two cities under consideration. He and Apollos at that time are working hand in hand. And when one of them is in Corinth, the other is in Ephesus. And so they're ministering to both cities, but they are not ministering at the same time. Which brings us then to Acts chapter 20. 
After the uproar was ceased, verse 1, Paul called on him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey, what our Bibles call Asia, what we would sometimes call Asia Minor. And if you can imagine this kind of a crescent shape of geography, um, <clears throat> on the east side is Asia, which is Ephesus and Troas and Colossae, and on the west side of the crescent is Achaia, and up on the north side is Macedonia, where, again, Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica are. And kind of in the middle, at the bottom of the crescent, is the Aegean Sea. And this is the easy passageway to go. And so Paul is going into Macedonia. When he'd gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece. And abode there three months, and there abode three months, when the Jews laid wait for him as he was about to sail to Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia, and there accompanied him Asia, of, into Asia, which is where Ephesus is, Sopater of Berea, Macedonia, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, Gaius of Derbe and Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. These going before tarried for us at Troas. So Paul travels west. <clears throat> He's three months in Greece, um, <clears throat> which is not, that, that's not Corinth, because we know that he was 18 months in Corinth. So whatever he was doing in Greece, he wasn't in Corinth. Then he desires to sail into Syria, which is coming out of the Aegean Sea, sailing, heading east past Cyprus into Syria, and to Jerusalem. So this is, his, this is the traveling that he actually does. Now if you would turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. Right, he wrote to them of what he intended to do. We have some indication of what his travel was. Verse number 15 of 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. And in this confidence I was minded to come unto you before that ye might have a second benefit. He had advised them of what his travel plans were. He wanted to come and see them the second time that they might have the second blessing, not, not a Holy Ghost filling, but the blessing of having Paul's company twice. And to pass by you into Macedonia and to come again out of Macedonia unto you and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. Right? There it is again, a repetition of what he planned when I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness? When I told you what my plans were, and I wrote to you this letter and said, here's what I intend to do. Did you think I did that casually, thoughtlessly? Or the things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? which is an interesting way of phrasing it. Do you think that I'm only thinking about this carnally, materially, mechanically, so that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay, so that you don't know whether you can count on me. Sometimes I'm yes, and sometimes I'm no. And so that everybody has to roll their eyes and say to Paul, well, you never know what's going to happen with Paul. You can't really count on him. Some days he's up and some days he's down. And some days he's dependable and some days he's not. And he's asking the question in all earnestness, is that what you think I'm like? Is that what you think happened? 
that I wrote to you what my plans were, and when those plans didn't come to pass, I just blew you off as if this was nothing. But something has happened, folks, because they are angry at him about the fact that he didn't show up when he said he was going to show up. Look down at verse number 22 of chapter 1. He's talking here about God who hath sealed us and give us the earnest of the earnest of the spirit in our hearts moreover i called god for a record upon my soul that to spare you i came not as yet into corinth not for that we have dominion over your faith but are helpers of your joy for by faith ye stand now there's conflict and there's an exchange of letters And there is animosity and hostility. And Paul decides, for the sake of the Corinthians, that he will not come back when he said, I I did this to spare you. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 1, But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. I don't want a bad meeting. I don't want an ugly face-to-face confrontation. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad? But the same which is made sorry by me. And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears. Not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. So there is all of this tension. If you'll jump ahead to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. St. Corinthians 13.1, this is the third time I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time. And being absent now, I write to them which heretofore have sinned and to all other that if I come again, I will not spare. I didn't come to spare you, but if I come this time and nothing has changed, There will be no sparing. Since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you, I will come. I will bring all of my apostolic weaponry with me. So there is this tension, right? And we know that there is some resol- we know that there is resolution to this. 2 Corinthians provides the we're, we're not going back through all 2 Corinthians, but it provides the resolution to this that that finally there is word that things have been patched up in the Corinth, right? And 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 Paul is, by the way, as an apostle, he is 
making the firm stance that he is not wrong in his positions. Right? He's not looking at this as, I may be wrong here and you may be wrong there and we need to figure this out. Paul's position is, you are in the wrong in these areas of conduct. And you need to address these. Churches cannot tolerate this kind of behavior. And, of course, we know that they've got all these, what he, or some, what he calls the super apostles, the false apostles, the guys with all the credentials and none of the authority who are leading the church and leading it astray. So there is, folks, somewhere in all of this, right? I mean, here are the things that we know, and it's hard to put all the pieces of the chronology together. But we know that there are letters exchanged, not just the first and second Corinthian letters. We know that there are letters exchanged. We know that, because this is the third time that I'm coming, that there is probably a, a very quick trip, something that Paul was not inclined to make, trying to soothe things, smooth things over, and there is Timothy. Right? Timothy gets the task of taking on the role of being Paul's mouthpiece and his mediator in this. And so we will come back to Timothy's role in this. So, so un, and un, there is an undercurrent of tension between Paul and the Corinthians that is still simmering. And Paul is addressing that. And, and, and again, folks, if we go, you know, so... You know, do we have that same conflict with Paul? Well, to the extent that we're out of sync with 1 Corinthians, yes. Is, is Paul going to show up and take us to task? No. But the reality, folks, is that biblical ministry is much corrective. The Bible is always orienting us back to the straight path. And church ministry is not without problems even among good people. So verses 4 through 9 address Paul and his plans. That takes us then back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verses 10 and 11. Paul and his plans, Timothy as Paul's proxy. Verse number 10, Now if Timotheus come, See that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord, as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. All right, so just a couple of things. First of all, to our ears, the word if sounds like a possibility, but it probably isn't. And grammatically, the word can equally be translated when. And I'm going to suggest that it should be that on the basis of what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4. If you want to take a minute and look back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus. Here it is being treated as a statement of fact. Who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up as though I would not come unto you. So the Corinthians tend to be all, Paul's going, look, I'm not coming, I didn't come because I wanted to spare you. 
And on the Corinthian side, there are people going, that man wouldn't dare show his face around here. We teach him a thing or two. Now, it is possible, folks, going back to 1 Corinthians 16, 10, and 11, that Paul is raising the possibility that while Timothy has been sent on the journey, there is no guarantee that he will arrive. Because, again, folks, it is not like dropping him off at the airport and then receiving a text from Timothy several hours later that says, I'm now in Corinth. It was... Begin the journey on foot and get to a boat, and if the Lord wills, I will see you again someday. So it is possible that Paul is raising the issue of Timothy's possible arrival in the recognition that plans change even for Paul's and Timothy's. But I think it's just recognizing, I think it's just an issue of translation and grammatic. Paul is not thinking, well, I hope I don't have to send Timothy. Timothy is en route. And this is pretty much consistent. Paul tended to send Timothy to every church that he established. That was one of his ministry functions. St. Corinthians 1.19, Paul writes, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus. So Timothy's already been in Corinth. He had a part in the establishment of the ministry. And I would suggest to you further, folks, that in verses 10 and 11, Paul is not magnifying Timothy's timidity. If modern-day preachers had their way with Timothy, we'd have him on antidepressants. A man who is barely able to crawl out of bed every morning without collapsing in a heap of fear. That's not, that is probably far from the truth. I would suggest that what you read in verses 10 and 11 are more a criticism of the way the Corinthians are inclined to treat people than of the fact that Timothy is a man who probably shouldn't really be in ministry. So don't abuse him. It isn't that Timothy can't take the abuse. It's that Timothy shouldn't have to take the abuse. Don't despise him. It's not that Timothy is a despicable man. It is that the Corinthians have a very bad habit, folks. This was developed in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and 3. It is repeated in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The Corinthians have a very bad habit of evaluating people on carnal means. On their degrees and their credentials and their oratorical ability their carnality. Does Timothy possess any of those? No. But notice the endorsement. He does the same work that I do. 1 Corinthians 16, 10, and 11. If Timotheus comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. Don't give him any trouble. And I think there's a hint, right? I think there is more than a hint that if they give him trouble, they will find themselves in trouble with Paul. He's coming back with the brethren. Conduct him in peace. I don't want to hear that when Timothy got there, you stonewalled him and you argued with him and you fought with him. I don't want to hear that. That is, I think, the way 
it should be read. He is my equal. I look for him. We do the same work. We are brothers, and he should be accorded the same courtesies. So Paul and his plans, verses 4 through 9. Timothy is Paul's proxy, verses 10 and 11. And Apollos as a fellow laborer in chapter 12. As touching, which is again the same Greek expression that you have in 16.1, now concerning. This is a construction, a grammatical construction we've seen several times, chapter 1, verse 12. Right? I mean, we've seen Apollos, and Paul has dealt with this. And so I'm just saying that because I think that we should understand that the Corinthians have asked, well, what about Apollos? Will, will you send Apollos back? <clears throat> can, can Apollos come back and be with us? You're not here, can we have Apollos? Now concerning Apollos, Concerning Apollos. Paul makes it very clear that he had no opposition whatsoever to Apollos returning. And if you remember, folks, back in the early parts of the book, the Corinthians were dividing themselves between Paul and Apollos. Nobody claimed any recognition of Timothy. He wasn't significant enough to be worth the work. But some were of Peter, and some were of Apollos, and some were of Paul, and some were going, oh, forget you guys, were of Jesus. So lest anybody think that there is any hint of conflict between Paul and Apollos, which he has already renounced in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4, as touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren. I urged him to return. I said to him, Apollos, you you really need to go back to Corinth. You really need to go back to Corinth. But his will was not at all to come at this time. His will was not at all to come at this time. And folks, one of the things about serving the Lord is that we all have the same word. We all have the same spirit. But we also all have our own wills, don't we? We all have our own wills. And Paul did not apparently feel like he had any apostolic authority to pull that card on Apollos and go, no, I'm the apostle, I'm telling you what to do. I'm begging you to go. I'm urging you to go. I'm encouraging you to go. The Corinthians need you to go. And Apollos went, but I'm not going. If I can work it out later to go, I will go. But I'm not going. I'm not going to do it right now. So I just think several things there. Paul is not at odds with Apollos, and Paul wants the Corinthians to know that. But he also wants the Corinthians to know that Apollos wasn't interested in coming at that time. These are part of the realities of ministry. Okay, just a couple things to kind of wind this down. Again, we're not dealing with doctrine. We're not really dealing with things that we can directly apply to Westwood Heights Baptist Church, but there are some generalities that we can note, right? Number one, it is not a bad thing to make plans. There are just some people, well-intentioned people, 
who believe that because the Spirit of God is at work in the world that everything should be haphazardly, last minute, completely unplanned, and according to the leading of the Spirit. But if you read Paul's letters carefully, folks, you know that he was a man given to making plans. I plan to go to Spain. I plan to go to Macedonia. I plan to stay in Ephesus. I plan to go to Jerusalem. Now, Paul was not a slave to his plans. He recognized that God might overrule his plans, but he did not view planning as being an enemy of God. When James rebuked people for going off to make money, he rebuked them for not bringing God into their plans. Paul always included the Lord in his plans. There was always either a spoken or an unspoken, if the Lord will, but he always knew what he was about to do. That is not a bad thing. But I would point this out, folks. We need to be very careful about reading malice into the things like this when people make changes in their plans or when things don't work out as we thought they were going to. There was a lot of suspicion on the part of the Corinthians towards Paul. And it just bleeds out throughout the course of the letter, particularly 2 Corinthians. That they just did not respect him or trust him as they should have done. And right, it, is very, it is very easy to substitute malice for carelessness when we're looking at the actions and words of other people. It's far easier to think that they're up to something sinister than to think that they're not up to anything at all. They're just not being very careful. And then, folks, what we have here, right? I mean, we just have here the realities of Christian ministry. That you have people making plans and problems with those plans. And... There are just, these are just the things that constitute Christian living. Nobody was being judged. The Lord wasn't manifesting any anger. But things had not worked out the way that Paul had said, had thought, had told them that added to the conflict and to the tension. It needed to be resolved. Paul's intention towards them was good. Why can't anything ever be easy? Because we, we live in a world in which nothing is ever easy. That's why. And that's where the book leads us. Well, not quite leaves us. We'll look at the last, the last verses next week, next Wednesday.